they've done a number of things also in legislation and in financing very cleverly. And it's one of those places in the world where new approaches of, for instance, pay payments can be explored and can be implemented rather quickly because of, it is such a small nation. So in, in fintech you see this happening and um, the next new inventions are just around the corner, I, I'm, I'm sure. Date, January 2017, episode 153. In this episode, Adolf van Dijk, CEO at Aden Spiekermann, talks about the creative scene in Singapore and its attractiveness to startups, fintech, investors, Uber competition, and Asian innovation. How would you describe the creative scene in Singapore and its attractiveness for startups? It's two different things because there's of course a relationship between the creative scene and, and startups, but a lot of tech startups, for instance in fintech, are not necessarily very creative or driven by creatives. But there's, there's certainly two very lively uh, scenes going on here. And there's a lot of money here. Singapore is one of the cities, one of the few cities in the, or I should say one of the most wealthy cities in the world, right? Uh, the, the amount of multi-millionaires here is quite staggering. So there's a lot of money and there's a lot of people that are willing to invest in good ideas and in inno innovative ideas. So there is quite a, a strong and lively uh, startup scene, um, especially due to these investors, VCs and angel investors, what have you. Then we also have a number of really strong universities here that also drive innovation and drive the startup scene for students that come up with fresh ideas during their studies, giving them the, the possibilities to set up their own company just very close to the university campus in startup hubs like Block 71, for instance. So there's a lot going on here in that respect. Yeah. Are these startups in some regards already ahead of the curve or are many of them still in copy-paste mode? Well, uh, both. And very often the most successful startups that have come out of Asia have looked very well at how American or European startups did things, started first copying that and then found ways to improve on it to make it more acceptable or more successful for Asian users. So a few examples, for instance, WeChat is of course Chinese. It was developed by a company called Tencent. WeChat at the beginning looked very much, of course, at WhatsApp and basically The core functionality is exactly the same. So it's a, a chatting app, which is for free over the internet, uh, IP-driven uh, way to uh, exchange short messages. But WeChat, because of its, its very quick penetration in the Chinese market, everybody has it uh, on their smartphones. So they also started innovating from that start point. And nowadays it's one of the most, the fastest growing payment solutions in China. And there's other functionalities that are driving uh, the further growth of, uh, of WeChat. So I think it has surpassed WhatsApp in many ways, simply because they brought together functionalities that did exist separately from each other in other apps or in other countries, but they integrated it all into the app that most people know and most people use. Another example is um, here in Indonesia, in Jakarta. There's a startup which is growing very fast, which is head-on competing with Uber and with Grab. Uh, Grab is the biggest taxi app here in the region, also here in Singapore, which is competing directly with Uber. Both Uber and Grab are on the market here, and they're the biggest brands. But in some cities, for, for them, it's very difficult, for instance, in Jakarta, because of the constant big gridlock that the city is in. So what you see is that other companies are starting to move people around on 
motorbikes. And Grab and Uber do the same thing in Jakarta, but they're not as successful as a new startup that started last year and that really put its heart and mind to bringing people from A to B on motorbikes because it's much faster than in a car because of the, the heavy traffic in big parts of Jakarta. So those kinds of innovations that are driven by specifics of a city or of a country are really interesting to see. And Western companies, Western startups can learn from that again, because these companies know the, the specifics of a certain local situation much better. If they're fast enough to solve that kind of problems for people, then people will, uh, will engage with that app and with that, that company. Is there also something happening that is new to the startup world? Is there something unique? No, not unique. The only thing I do see is that things like contactless payment systems uh, have been adopted here much, much quicker than in other parts of the world. They've been around here for a number of years and almost everyone uses them. And in many ways, because Singapore is such a small nation, it's a large city but a small nation at the same time. Eh? We have 5.4 million inhabitants. And Singapore is both, is, is both a city and a republic, so an independent country. Uh, it used to be, for a number of years, part of Malaysia in the early 1960s, but they were kicked out by Malaysia. But since 1965, uh, Singapore was on its own. And they have made of that problem, in fact, a big success under the, the leadership of Lee Kuan Yew and later on his son who is currently still the prime minister of uh, this country. Singapore has grown to become one of the most successful cities and small nations in the world. They've done a number of things also in legislation and in financing very cleverly. And it's one of those places in the world where new approaches of, for instance, pay payments can be explored and can be implemented rather quickly because of, it is such a small nation. So in, in fintech, you see this happening and um, the next new inventions are just around the corner, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, but I'm not so completely aware of them right now because it's not a domain that I focus on. It sounds a little bit like Singapore is similar to a massive startup in itself. The government has a very, very strong hold on the development and further and the future growth and success of Singapore. It's interesting because Singapore in a way is run like a big company, not like a startup, but more as a large corporation. Some things can happen very fast here. If I see how fast buildings are erected here without any big delays, how quickly they can build new metro lines, for instance. Currently, there, the city is undergoing the construction of three new major uh, metro lines, MRT, they are called here, Metropolitan Rail uh, Transit Systems, quite important for battling the congestion in the streets. And the system is very, the system that, that operates is, is very well maintained, it's very well run. If I compare that to the U-Bahn systems in Berlin or the metro system in, in Amsterdam, my God, there's huge differences. So somehow Singapore manages these projects much better than Western European cities do this or even American cities. I can't still wrap my head around exactly why that is. Maybe it has to do with the fact that people here are much more used to hierarchy and to doing what they're told and things like that. We Westerners have a tendency, of course, to dispute everything, to discuss everything before we agree on something. And here, if the boss says something, then everybody agrees, uh, even if they don't agree, <laughs> and they do it. You know, so it's, it has a lot to do with that mentality, uh, which makes things happen much faster sometimes. But this is not good for innovation, right? No, exactly. So uh, at the same time, Singapore is trying to slowly change that mindset. But it's a very 
um, intricate balance that they're trying to find. You know, so in the one hand, they want to have the young people, students, and uh, pupils that come from schools to be more self-driven, self-thinking, more ready for an uncertain future in many ways. But at, at the same time, they also want to keep the success of how the country and the city was built over the past decades to stay in place. It's, it's a difficult uh, balance that they're facing. And I see the same things happening in China. China has a completely different scale, of course, and it's, it's run in a very different way. But there are some similarities, which is logical, because about 70% of the inhabitants of Singapore have Chinese backgrounds, are from Chinese descent. So the majority of Singaporeans have a very strong, often also, family relationship with China, with mainland China. So there are many similarities between, between cities in China and, and Singapore. But at the same time, Singapore is, um, is much closer to the Western world because it's been open so, so much longer than China to the Western world and a Western way of doing things. Well, then Singapore might have better chances than China to develop this sort of rebellious spirit that might be necessary to create a hub for innovation. Yeah, yeah. In a way, that's and that's that's what I'm I'm seeing happening now. That so the, the government is slowly, very slowly and very carefully releasing their tight grip on things here and there to allow more creativity, to allow more freedom of thinking. At the same time, it's as I said, it's a it's really a, a very delicate balancing act. They also have to deal here with all these different religions that live together on this small piece of land and uh, peacefully coexist. If, if I compare the way that uh, Islamic people and Catholic people and Buddhist people, Taoist people uh, live together and work together here, and if I compare that to the big debates that are going on currently in many countries in Europe. There's a huge difference. Uh, I have the feeling, but it can also be slightly shrouded, that Singaporeans understand much better the freedom of religion in relationship to, and freedom of thinking in relationship to building a society together. It sounds a little bit like this younger generation is almost ordered to be more rebellious and free thinking. And that doesn't work, of course. No, that doesn't work. But I, I do see the, <laughs> the inter internal struggles of people, right? So they've been brought up in a very strict system still, you know, over the past 10, 20 years, and are, are slowly experiencing more freedom and freedom to create things, to be, become an artist, etc. But still, a lot of parents don't want their children to become artists or even designers, you know. Parents today here in Singapore are very much like our parents uh, the way they were in the 1950s and 1960s. So, but that freedom of choice and also the freedom to, to, to decide on your own future is happening now. So I see a lot more designers in schools than 10 years ago. I see a lot more stimulating programs and grants and things like that going on from the government and in creative processes than 10 years ago. Uh, so a lot is happening in that sense here.